Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How have you been? I think about a lot of the people that I've interviewed. Some of the interviews are very memorable to me. From time to time, I'll go back and I'll think about somebody and I'll listen to their interview. This morning, I started listening to the Rhubarb Jones interview. I don't know what it was, but he'd been on my mind lately. Rhubarb Jones was a radio personality. He was the longest-running morning radio personality in the Atlanta market. He was at 106.7, I think, for 24 years, 23, 24 years. Rhubarb Jones has since passed away. He passed away in April of last year. And I was listening to the interview and hearing what he said about greatness, and it inspired me. I was also inspired by how much Rhubarb Jones dedicated his life to helping other people. And I know he made a difference. It really puts things into perspective. So I was listening to the interview, and then I was surprised to see, coincidentally, tomorrow would have been Rhubarb Jones' birthday. He was born August 9th, 1951. He passed away April 2nd, 2017. I think this interview says a lot about him. It's some great storytelling, and it's heartwarming. I hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our pleasure to introduce a radio DJ legend. In the Atlanta market, he was the longest-running morning radio personality. Rhubarb Jones has been recognized countless times by various organizations and associations. In 1983, the Academy of Country Music awarded him Radio Personality of the Year. In 1991, he was inducted into the Atlanta Country Music Hall of Fame. In 1993, he was nominated for an Emmy. In 1999, he was voted one of Atlanta's Disc Jockeys of the Century from the Atlanta Society of Entertainers. Radio and Records Magazine named him one of Country Music Radio's 100 Most Influential Personalities. In 2001, he was inducted into the Country Music Disc Jockey Hall of Fame in Nashville. In 2007, he was inducted into the Georgia Radio Hall of Fame. It's a great pleasure. Well, I'm honored. I was sitting there listening to that introduction. My goodness. Kind of, uh, wow. You know, you don't think about things when you're doing them. You know, when when things, incidents in your life, and they just come along and you say, well, that's pretty good, but what can I do today to be a little better? So, yeah, uh, going into the Georgia Radio Hall of Fame in 2007 in the Country Music Disc Jockey Hall of Fame and winning a couple of awards from the CMA and the Academy of Country Music, it, it's, been, it's been very gratifying. You know, and I, I keep my toe in radio a little bit, but I do it just for fun. We're not doing it for a living now, you know. Well, I think most stories are best from the beginning. So what was life like growing up? I grew up, my my parents divorced when I was about four, and me and my mother moved to her hometown of Tallapoosa, Georgia, when I was a little boy, and uh, grew up in a household. We didn't have a lot of money. We We never did without food or anything like that but you know we just very we didn't waste anything i'll just say that 
you used a bar of soap, you used it till it was gone. And you didn't waste. I mean, that's just it. You didn't waste food and uh, just, you know, I, I don't know. I had a grandmother who taught me how to cook and she, you know, practically raised me because my mother was having to work all the time. But it was a, a good place to grow up, Tallapoosa. I moved back there. I bought a house there in 2006 and moved back and uh, live on the street that I grew up on. Wow. And it was Stone Street when I was for 130 years, and about 20-something years ago, they renamed it Rhubarb Lane. So I live on Rhubarb Lane. I live at 70 Rhubarb Lane. And, and, and it's great falling asleep at night and hearing those trains and, you know, all those things that I, that I grew up with and, and had great neighbors and great friends. And it's a town where uh, everybody gets along. I'm very proud of that. I mean, uh, we elected a, a superior court judge who was born in Thailand. We are a county commission chairman for many years. He was an African-American kid who was just a few years behind me in school. And and race doesn't seem to be a, an issue. And I'm proud of that. I'm, I'm proud of where I'm from and where I live. And, and in many, many ways, it's far more progressive than, than counties and, and cities much larger. I just, I just, I don't know. I love growing up in, in, in Tallapoosa and went to Southern Union State Junior College down in Wadley, Alabama for a couple of years. Got to be the uh, second year there, was editor of the paper and president of student body. And I went from there to Jackson State University and kind of found myself academically over my head. My mother says, all right, good. You get to come home. And stay here with us to to and hopefully West Georgia will let you in, and they did. And uh, I found my niche when I was at West Georgia. I was very fond of uh, of going to school at West Georgia, and it was great. And graduated '74, and moved to Columbus, Georgia, and worked at a rock station there, and moved to Asheville, North Carolina, about a year and a half later, and got my first job in country music. And uh, you know, you were telling me, Paul, that we met at a Gene Watson concert. Gene Watson was a brand new artist. He had only been out about a year when I met him. He had a song that, that crossed over. Some rock stations played Love in a Hot Afternoon. But I met him, and it was the beginning of a, a long, long, long friendship, almost 40 years. So, I, you know, from Asheville, went to Montgomery and spent seven years there, and great things happened there, and, and then moved to Atlanta in 1985, and Spent 23 years on the air at uh, 106.7, and I could see the writing on the wall about 2003, 2004, that radio was changing. It became corporate, and it was becoming less personal, being far more impersonal. It was more about profit than uh, people. So I always had a plan B, always keep a plan B, and that was I went to graduate school so I could teach. So I went to... Uh, to Shorter University and got a, a master's degree and graduated with 4.0 and Sigma Beta Delta Honor Society and blah, blah, blah. Things that I didn't do when I was in my 20s because I wasn't focused hmm. in those days. But, but I, you know, I spent, I've been at Kennesaw State over six years. Five of those years were in the classroom and I learned a lot and I'm still close to a, a lot of my students and Maybe I'll go back in the classroom one day, but right now we're just working in the Office of Development trying to raise funds because it takes a lot of money to raise a university, and we can't depend on the taxpayer. 
that's just the the reality of things. So we just uh, try to try to do the best we can here. It's a great university. Kennesaw State is doing a merger with uh, Southern Poly, and we'll be the second largest university in the state of Georgia come January first, twenty fifteen. So it's pretty exciting. Were you always a music fan? Always, always. Just remember hearing my mother singing "Blue Suede Shoes," the Carl Perkins "Blue Suede Shoes" song. I remember I was, when I, I was three, four years old when that came out. Getting to tell Carl Perkins that one time, sitting in the back seat of his car, he's playing a, a tape of some new songs he recorded with another buddy of mine who grew up with Carl in Jackson, Tennessee, but who was the executive director of the Academy of Country Music. Bill Boyd, rest his soul, he uh, introduced me to Carl, and that was great. And I told him, I said, I remember him and my mom singing Blue Suede Shoes when I was a little kid. You know, it was a pretty big success for him and Elvis Cutting, too. So, But always hearing things like Jim Reeves and Eddie Arnold and Mom listening to Johnny Mathis and the Mills Brothers, Brenda Lee. Brenda Lee was my very first crush. I was in the fourth grade. And getting to know Brenda, you know, later on, she always had a big laugh about that. You know, everybody thinks Brenda Lee's 90 years old, but no, she's only uh, 70, I think. And she's just a, a terrific human being. But but I heard a lot of music growing up. Like every other kid, when I got in about the sixth grade, was it? The Beatles came out. And I remember watching Ed Sullivan that February night in 1964, and I said, this is our music. This is my generation's music. So, you know, got caught up in all those bands, the Stones and the Beatles, and, you know, later on some of the American bands like the Beach Boys and like Paul Revere and Raiders, and then I discovered R&B music, Otis Redding, Aretha Franklin, Sam and Dave, Wilson Pickett, Remember hearing the drifters and coasters on the radio? I don't know. I have always loved music, and I can't imagine. I don't think I've ever gone 12 hours without listening to it. Just can't be done. You said that radio is becoming impersonal. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the model that they're using today is a sustainable one? Well, time's going to tell because... People, one thing that I learned in teaching is students, 18 to, oh, I don't know, 18 to 25, they don't use the radio like their parents did or my generation did. There are too many alternatives. You, you have Pandora. I could go on and on and on about the alternatives to, uh, to radio. I mean, uh, iTunes radio, uh, you pick an artist and, there you are. They, they play whatever you want to hear. But I still, uh, one thing that I love about radio is a very human medium. It's very, you touch people. I mean, I've talked people out of suicides. I've, 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 I've talked people out of being members of, of a hate organization. I've been able to, to help raise money for sick kids and I've helped raise money for, for families who were facing uh, hardship during the holidays. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of those things, and I didn't do it by myself. All I did was ask people to help me, and they, they heeded the call. So I, I was very lucky. But radio today, they don't do that. They just don't do it. And it's, it's 
highly impersonal. And they're reading off cue cards. And I, I, I don't listen much to Atlanta radio except for maybe talk radio. But I guess because I'm, you know, I'm older now and I guess that's the law. You got to do that. But I, but I do listen to my hometown radio station out in Tallapoosa, WKNG, which is a traditional country playing music, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. That I really enjoy a lot. And they play stuff that Atlanta radio won't play, like Johnny Cash. Good grief. I, I bet you I was the last guy to play a Johnny Cash record in Atlanta radio. I'll bet you I was the last person to play an Oak Ridge Boys song or a Ronnie Millsap or a Loretta Lynn. I could go on and on and on. It's just now it's run by consultants, corporations that have no clue. They said, well, it works in uh, Detroit, so let's try it in Atlanta. I don't know. It's kind of the, the you're killing the goose that laid that golden egg. And and to see whether large market radio is going to be survive, survive is going to be interesting. I hope it does, but there are too many alternatives for people to get entertainment. The, the, I think that the smartphones, the, I, the iPhone, is just incredible. Everything that I have to keep up with emails and, and text messages and music to unlock my phone, I use my fingerprint. It's, it's, it's just, there are just too many other alternatives for, I, you know, I put my music library on my phone and then I can get iTunes radio and I can listen to whatever. I just hope that radio, I wish radio would wake up and get local again. But uh, that's just the way it is. And I voice track a rock oldie station down in Montgomery, Alabama on Saturday afternoons. Do a five-hour show that I voice track from my house. But I try to make it as live-sounding as possible by employing my kids to do stuff with me or, or just... Try to be entertaining and try to keep it local. I talk about Montgomery and the river region down there. and You know, I was there, what, 30 years ago, and those people treat me like I hadn't left. I'm not even playing the same kind of music I was before, but people uh, people were very, very loyal to me then. And it's looking pretty good they're loyal to me now. Can you give us your memories of how you felt the first time your voice was heard on the radio. I was excited. I was scared. My first radio job, I was a student at Jacksonville State University in North Alabama. And I went and applied at all the radio stations in Anniston. I had no experience at all. And they said, come back, get some experience, and come back. So I went to Piedmont. It's the last ditch effort. It's the last thing. And the guy just happened to be from Tallapoosa, Georgia, graduated high school there in 1955. And he said, can you start Sunday? So I did Sundays, and I just never will forget. We signed on the radio station at 7 a.m. I got there at 5.30. We signed off the station like at 6 at night, and I was just so excited. And I remember just being nervous and excited. And then when you, when the first time you opened that mic, and you, I knew I was hooked. That was it. That was that. That was then. It was, it was exciting, and it's still exciting to do it. I'm not nervous now. The nerves have gone away. It became just very natural to me. I really got into radio, number one, because I love music. I said, you mean they will pay me money to play records? 
<laughs> well, I was going to play records anyway, so might as well make a buck and a half an hour. It, it, it was always exciting. And radio is radio. It doesn't matter where you are. You're always remember you're reaching people. No doubt you've seen a lot of concerts. Mm-hmm. Who has been the greatest raw talent you ever saw? <sighs> Unpolished. I saw Alabama before they were really polished. I played drums on a demo that they sent to Warner Brothers for this kid from Marietta. They needed the drummer that they had for the session got sick, and the producer called me and said, you, you, you drum? And I said, yeah. He said, well, you come and play on four tracks for this kid that we've got from Marietta. We think Warner Brothers may sign him. And I came down and I played on these tracks and the kid came in and he just, he had this smile and he had this charisma about him. And a year and a half later, he had a record deal with Warner Brothers. That's Travis Tritt. There are just some people that, that first time you hear them, you're blown away. First time I heard Treasure Yearwood, blown away. First time I heard Patty Loveless, knocked out. Growing up, listening to gospel music in my home, as a child on Sunday morning, becoming friends and knowing the Oak Ridge Boys for the better part of 40 years. I mean, that's pretty gratifying. always loved that. And when they made the transition from Southern gospel music to country, I thought it was great. But as far as raw talent, Gene Watson is one of those guys that had raw talent. Here is a working in a body shop outside of Houston. And he goes into the studio in Houston with Russ Reeder, and they cut Love in a Hot Afternoon. And I never will forget, Jim Fife, who was the voice of the Auburn Tigers for years. I was a music director at WLWI in Montgomery, and I called him and said, Jim, I want you to hear this record. And he came in, and I played Farewell Party for him, and he cried. And a year or so later, I played He Stopped Loving Her Today for him, and he cried. And that's the great thing about country music, how it evokes an emotion or a feeling that I think that most of today's country music just fails miserably at. It seems to be all about guys with their ball caps on backwards, sitting on the back of a truck on a dirt road next to the lake with uh, Sally Mae, and they're going to drink beer till the crack of dawn. I mean, it just seems to be kind of misguided. Country music is far more than than, than what's being portrayed today. Some of these acts, I don't understand. I don't understand how, how they're successful. Now, some of them, are like George Strait, <laughs> 30-something years at it. He's 60, he'll be 63 his next birthday. George Strait. I voted for him for Entertainment of the Year. Why? Because he he drew the biggest crowds in his farewell tour of anybody in the history of country music. Kenny Chesney still got it. Tim McGraw still got it. I think Miranda Lambert is fantastic. Blake Shelton is great. But for the most part, a lot of what I'm hearing on country radio, I don't, I don't get. Love Eric Church. I think he's great. Brantley Gilbert. I get him. Uh, some of the acts I, I really don't understand, like Florida, Georgia Line. I, I don't. No, I'm sure they're fine fellas, but I just don't get their music. On your website, rhubarbjones.com, there's pictures of just all kinds of people. You mentioned a lot of people that are some of the more modern country singers, and then some of them who've been in the game for a long right. time. Right. Who have you been the most thrilled to meet? Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. No question. 
when I was around, when I first met him back around 1980, I knew I was around breakfast. I just knew it. I keep a picture of uh, me and him on my, next to my desk that just kind of reminds me. To me, I'm thrilled with greatness. I love greatness in whatever. If you make the best coffee in the world, I'm thrilled with that. I'm, I love greatness. If you make the best hamburger or Cuban sandwich or French fries or barbecue, I love greatness. I love above average. I don't like average. I love above average. Cash did that. George Jones was perhaps the most unpretentious human being I ever met in my life. He really didn't realize how great he was. There were some great performers that never really got their due. People I, I think deserve to be in the Country Music Hall of Fame. Gene Watson's one. Vern Gosden is another. I've, I've, I've always loved people that sang from their heart. And you've got formula artists out there that just, they, this hit sounds like the one they just did. And the next hit is going to sound like this one if it's successful. So it seems to be a lot of formula, and I try to keep up with other genres of music. My 12-year-old, she took me to some, some concert back in the summer down at Lakewood to see three of these, I don't know what they call pop punk, whatever. Just try to, just to see what's going on. I tell you some greatness. It shows that music stands the test of time. Great music does. Garth Brooks. He's been off the scene for, what, 15, 16, 17, 18 years? He came back and he sold out every venue multiple times that he played. Atlanta, five, six times. Chicago, eight times. Every house he played, they sold it out multiple times. So Garth is an example of greatness. Paul McCartney, he's 72. He's still great. Bob Seger, he's, he'll be 70 his next birthday. He just released an album. It's good. Not just in country music. There's a lot of pop players. Like I'm excited that Kenny Loggins is coming to uh, Bremen on on Monday, and he was one of the guys when I was in in pop radio. He did one of my favorite albums. He released an album called Celebrate Me Home, which is just nice music. Because when I first got into radio, '72, your mama don't dance and your daddy don't rock and roll. That was a uh, a big, big top 40 hit, and so I'm excited. And I interviewed him on the radio back in the 70s, and he was so nice. I'm excited about about Kenny Loggins because he's, what, 70-ish and still going. Great music doesn't have a shelf life. I can hear an act on the air of a new country artist, and I'll say, you know, I bet they're not going to be playing this guy in three years or five years or ten years. So it's it's different. I mean, you think Clint Black, he's still got a shelf life, still going strong. Kenny Rogers is in his 70s. He's still putting fannies in the seats and selling records. So I, I just think that the great ones will stand. Loretta Lynn is, what, 80? She still go? There's a picture that I saw of you, the great songwriter Bruce Birch, and Wayne great Newton. Friend, great friend. Great story behind that. I'd love to hear it. There were these, a friend of mine that I got to know through radio would come out to my remote sometimes, and she was what they called one of the Wayniacs, which is Wayne Newton's fan club. 
You know, now Wayne is a, a show business icon. He is of the that Vegas thing that Sinatra and Dean Martin and Sammy and the whole Rat Pack thing. And he was, uh, you know, he was on the he knew Lucille Ball and Jack Benny and Jackie Gleason. He always referred to those people, Mister Sinatra, Mister Gleason, Mister Benny, Miss Ball. I always loved that about him. But anyway, she approached me and said. Wayne wants to do a country album. Can he call you? And I said, yeah, sure, right. Well, by golly, he called. And we talked. And I said, well, Wayne, I said, this ain't my pig and this ain't my farm. My advice is free, but you can't cut an album in L.A. or New York or Las Vegas. You're going to have to come to Nashville. And you need to go find some fresh music. And he said, will you help me find some songs from writers? And a producer. So I said, well, sure. And while I got to be friends with Rick Goodman, who was the drummer and the producer, the Happy Goodman Family Records, and I got to thinking, what if you could bring that energy to this icon? And they, I put them all together, and, you know, I didn't think anything about it. And uh, Bruce had several cuts, I think, on that first on that album that Wayne did, which I, I thought was great, but radio wouldn't play it. Because it was Wayne Newton, unfortunately. But still, Wayne never forgot that. Wayne always, uh, it's his show business roots, he never forgets a favor. and He became a, a good friend because of that. And he. This is a true story. This is how powerful this guy was. I went on vacation to Hawaii. I didn't tell anybody where I was going except some family. We were in the island of Kauai, and then we were going to fly over to Maui for a few days. And anyway, we left, we flew to Maui, and I get a phone call at the hotel. This, you know, people, cell phones were in bags back in those days. And it was Wayne's personal assistant, and he found me. And he said, Wayne wants to airship you the tapes for you to listen to. So the next day, <laughs> I had the tapes, and I just listened to it, and I, I thought what I heard was good. You know, the, the whole thing through that. Oh, you need this room? All righty, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. No, 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 no. We're... Okay. Professor Jones, you probably right. don't remember me. I was in some of your classes. What's your name? My name is Rob Renz. So we yeah, were, Mr. Renz, we, I remember you. We work for 680 The Fan. Hey, I'm oh, man, love this it, love it, love it. All right, it's right. barely in or out. What say he's you? He's in. He's coming back right, from Florida. Dude, all right. Coming back from Florida. How are you? I'm nice to see you. How are you? Good to see you. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. Good to meet you. Y'all take care. All right, have a good day. Let's go for it. You know what, we are, that office next to Melissa's might be. Let's try that. Right here. Yeah. Where were we? We were talking about his Wayne-ness. Wayne was just, you know, and he just, he just, he flew from Las Vegas to Atlanta for my 40th birthday. Things like that you don't forget. And every show that I've seen perform, we said, ringside and uh, he always just recognizes me and oh my gosh it's, it's you know that I, I i think about just how dang lucky i've been i've just been very very lucky
being at the right place at the right time. Well, what are you most proud of? Raising money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The March Across Georgia thing that we did every June for a better part of 20 years, 20 years with a golf tournament. We're proud of that. And it was, it was something we did because we saw what leukemia did to children. And uh, it's not pretty. I got involved with that through a man named Danny Thomas, who was a, another entertainment icon through St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And we decided we not only want to help kids, but leukemia affects 10 times more adults than children. So I, I think of, of that, the, the charity work that we did over the years, the Toys for Tots things. Those are the proudest things. What is the best thing about being Rhubarb Jones? People being nice to me, and you just saw an example of that <laughs> in the hall, of people that, you know, here's a woman that works for the university that I've seen her, but I didn't know she listened to me growing up. I, th- I think that's a great thing, that the, the fact that people remember or they can hear me asking a question in a Kroger store or a grocery store or a Walmart, and I know that voice. You know, that that's, that's pretty gratifying. What is your all-time favorite meal? Fried chicken. Fried chicken. Fried chicken, that's it. With what? Fried chicken and mashed potatoes. Yeah, yeah, that, I, that's the all-time. I remember my grandmother, we had fried chicken. That was special. Fried chicken was something we might have on Sunday. But I've always loved fried chicken. Never been tired of fried chicken. For anyone who listens to this, wherever they are, what would you say to them? Completely open-ended. I think think whatever your dreams or your ambitions are, never give up on it. And never allow anybody to tell you you can't do it. You know, take ownership of your life and say, oh, yes, I can. And I think that's the most important thing is if you're an aspiring musician, if you work hard enough, and but you've got to be able to take rejection when it happens, but never give up. Never, ever, ever give up. One of my favorite uh, personalities this planet ever had was Sir Winston Churchill whose philosophy was never, never, never give up. And he led England in World War II, and Adolf Hitler dropping bombs, he told the English people, don't give up, we will get through this. And sure enough, they did. And Winston Churchill, was he perfect? No, he had problems. He was a functioning alcoholic. But at the end of the day, he believed. And he kind of knows. You're no doubt a man that knows his music. If you could pick one song, it doesn't have to have words. It could be a classical song. It could be a pop song. It could be a country song, a rock song, classic, whatever. What is the song that best describes you? Your theme song. Wow. Thank God I'm a country boy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 you know, it's hard to say. My favorite piece of music is George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue because he wrote it looking at Bowcatcher Mountain. He was on top of Bowcatcher Mountain and he looked down on the city of Asheville and the lights. And he wrote this great piece 
of, I guess you call it modern classical music. I always loved that. Yeah, Isaac Hayes recorded a song. He keeps his eye on the sparrow. That uh, they sang it. One of my dearest friends, he had a funeral the other day that I conducted. I like songs that got personal meaning. I still embrace music that I kind of grew up with. Uh, on the pop side, I just downloaded a, a new Herb Alpert album called In the Mood. It's got some, some old songs on there, but he's still playing his trumpet like he did in the 1960s. He's 79 years old. He's part of that greatness that stood the test of time. But music, I think music is, is a bomb. It's, it's something that's good for the soul. It's good for the, for the spirit. I've never met a person that said they didn't like some form of music. You've got to love some kind of music. Unfortunately, I'm s still spending records on, on a Saturday. And it's music, a lot of the music that I kind of grew up listening to. You know, I was kind of a late bloomer in country music. I don't know. Bob Dylan did an album called Nashville Skyline. I, I remember buying that. Johnny Cash having him on his show. And I remember buying Johnny Cash's Live at Folsom Prison. Which is one of those albums that, if you had a, a top ten album that you had to have, if you were going to be on a desert island, that'd be one of them. My last question, who is Rhubarb Jones? He's just a small town boy who had a, just had a good life, and he had a good raising, and he had a, got to laugh a lot, got to love a lot, uh, got to see some, some great things. And, and and witnessed mag things that are I've saw pieces of history that I'll never forget. I remember seeing when President Kennedy was elected. I remember seeing when President Kennedy was assassinated. I remember watching live on TV when Lee Harvey Oswald was killed in the basement of the Dallas police station. I remember vividly watching the six o'clock news and what was going on in Vietnam and seeing 9-11, being on the air when 9-11 happened. I got to witness a lot of, of uh, huge things. I mean, um, when I measure greatness, I, I think of people that, like Elvis. I think Elvis was great, not only musically, but also as a philanthropist. He gave away millions and millions of dollars for various causes. I named my, my uh, oldest daughter, who was 12, Presley, after him because I said, here is what you can take a southern boy from very humble roots and become a worldwide icon. My youngest daughter, who just turned 10 the other day, Callie Reeves, I named her after Dan Reeves, who uh, he coached the Falcons. The only coach ever to get the Falcons to the Super Bowl. He coached the New York Giants. He coached the Denver Broncos. He played football for the Dallas Cowboys. He's the man that if you knocked him down when he was a player, he got back up. He could do whatever was needed, and he never asked why. What do we need to do to win or whatever? He just did what was required, and that's what I try to instill uh, in my kids. They never give up, and they always give it their best shot. Mr. Jones, it's been a great pleasure. Well, Paul Leslie, it's an honor to, to have uh, been with you, and uh, hope you stay in touch. Thank you. 
The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment and Media. The Paul Leslie theme song composed, recorded, and produced by Jeff Pike. Outro music composed, recorded, and produced by John Goodwin, originally appearing in the short film Malukas and Vulnerable Jelly Things. Please consider subscribing to the Paul Leslie Hour, and if you like us, give us a review. It'll help other people to find this content. All past interviews are also available on YouTube. For more information, you can visit thepaulleslie.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Paul Leslie. Thanks for listening. Be good.